And, you know, while tools like, you know, Zoom and WebEx are, are fantastic, it does remove some of that human factor and some of that very, very valuable information that you have. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnell, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. Hi, welcome back to the Inspire Podcast. Let me start by saying two things. First, a huge thank you to all the medical professionals fighting this pandemic on the front lines. Doctors, nurses, administrators, first responders, everyone who is doing the hard work of putting their lives at risk to take care of those in need. I want to say a big thank you to them. And secondly, the one thing we can do is stay home, practice social distancing or physical distancing, and do our part to flatten the curve. As we do these things, and as we try and get through this time together, we are working in new ways. We are working as teams remotely with technology like Zoom. I know I spend my days on Zoom calls. It's not always easy, but it's working. And I think it's really remarkable to see what we are able to achieve. We at the Humphrey Group have been able to continue to support clients, offer all of our programs digitally, and uh, it's really exciting to see what's possible when you're forced to. And so there are demands on us as teams, all of us uh, working remotely, and the demands are to create highly effective teams in, uh, in the face of this reality. So my guest today talks about what team effectiveness looks like. Her name is Trina Boivin. She's a Vice President of Leadership Assessment and Development with Optimum Talent, which is a national talent management practice here in Canada. And uh, Trina is also a past client of the Humphrey Group. And uh, I have a lot of respect for her background and the work she puts in to leadership development and her expertise around team dynamics. And she joins me to talk about the um, definition of an effective team, what it looks like, what gets in the way of it, how leaders can intentionally form it, and why it's more important than ever. So hope you enjoy my conversation with Trina Boivin. This, uh, Trina, is the first one done during social distancing and at home. So welcome to the Inspire Podcast. Stay safe and uh, social distance. That is the only way that we are going to get to the other side. (laughs) And and you were saying that you have been truly social distancing for some time now, right? So you're, how many days of quarantine are you on? Uh, I'm on my 12th day of quarantine. I have not left the house. Well, well, thank you. I feel like it's almost like a a thank you for your service moment. I'm here in, (laughs) in my house, my empty house. This is going to be our new norm for weeks and months to come as we work together a hospital's time to to improve testing, to improve care. So I think it's something we should all make a priority. 
Mm-hmm. 100% agree. And I think it's really going to challenge how we care about each other and how we work together and how it is that we are going to be perceiving, not just what we feel like we've got control over, but what the greater good actually looks like. You know, one thing I know that you specialize in is high performing teams, defining high performance and then helping teams get to that state. So let's just start with what a high performing team is you know, something that's not a mystery to most. I think a lot of people really understand that at the foundation of any high-performing team really, really is an element of trust. So, you know, when we start thinking about, well, what is the remainder of the definition? It's, it's individuals who've got um, that strong sense of identity and real connection to not just the typical mission, vision, values, but they're also marching towards the same goals and those same targets. But they're also a team that can be really forthright and holding each other accountable and and are quite adaptive whenever they are trying to leverage uh, conflict in a, either that's creative conflict or one that's actually a little bit more constructive or even conflict that's arising out of having a significant differing view. But they've also got an element of high learning agility and high collaboration. But above all, they also celebrate key successes so that they know and they've always got that feeling that everything's worthwhile. So, so a lot of elements go into it. And so let's, let's just unpack mm-hmm. a few of those. I want to start with something that I think in our time is particularly relevant, which is this idea of learning agility. Well, I, I think one of the key things about learning agility is it's really foundation to just having an overarching learning culture. And so there's a lot of elements that go into that. But I think the key here is when you take a look at a team, there are a group of people that already have some very mature skills. And what you're looking to do is to build on top of those so that you, people are continuously advancing, um, but they're learning and engaging quite quickly. And so in this kind of context, it is a team who is looking to continuously, you know, gain those new insights. They've got extreme curiosity and they're really, really focused on not just respecting each other's efforts, but they're also focused on group achievement as well. Can you suddenly create learning agility if you're, for example, in this world of COVID-19, needing people to adapt quickly, or is it something that just takes too, too long to do? I think every time, you know, a leader has a piece of work that they need to get done, if they're always quite mindful and very intentional about looking at every single piece of work that comes across their desk as an opportunity for either someone to apply their very unique skill set to executing on that piece of work, or they're looking at it as an opportunity for someone else to be able to really learn how to do something in an environment where they've got a lot of other people to be able to support them, looking at everything that you do with kind of that unique lens of everything is an opportunity uh, really gives you a chance to, you know, inspire people Mm -hmm. to want to learn to be able to grow more. But it also then really increases the sheer volume of feedback that everyone's getting on an ongoing basis. Everyone is asking and getting regular feedback so that that becomes a lot more fluid Mm -hmm. and is less event-based and more experience-based. And so that's that particular flow starts to smooth out over time. So it sounds like for leaders, this is a good time to really be encouraging people who might be feeling stressed, who probably are feeling stressed and overwhelmed to embrace this as an opportunity to increase your capabilities and skills uh, of working together in a new way. 
you're seeing a lot of our senior leaders talk about the fact that, you know, sometimes speed is more important than being perfect. So Mm -hmm. we're entering a time where a lot of people are going to make mistakes. And it's not just forgiving someone for having a mistake. It's what are you going to do with that as a learning event? What are we going to do differently the next time? And porting those experiences forward and blending them with other learnings so that you can then create new realities or new solutions or new ideas. So so that whole element of making sure that failures are leveraged Mm -hmm. and they're not something that comes with a layer of judgment becomes incredibly important. And Mm. so, so, so that's where that accountability portion really comes into play. So whether you use the word being really forthright or, or just unabashed accountability, it's Mm -hmm. that whole notion of, you know, the the whole red, green, yellow charts that that we tend to put out on dashboards. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, the yellow is the call for help and the red is all hands on deck to be mm-hmm. able to solve this. And, you know, in a lot of really big projects that I've seen, you know, people are hesitant to go red because then it's, it's, it's insinuating that they have not been able to deliver and it's a failure. When in reality, it's supposed to be that call for help. It's supposed to be the rallying of the troops. And that needs to be okay when you've got a high learning agility team mm-hmm. when you've got a high performing team things need to get addressed quickly get them back on track it needs to be triaged mm-hmm. and the more that that kind of stuff gets you know essentially swept under the rug right. the less likely you know you're going to be able to really move forward continuously adapt and have some of that learning agility mm-hmm. so that these big scenarios like what's happening today don't you know rock the business in such a way that's unrecoverable and so let's delve into this, on the, what you call unabashed accountability. And, and you've mm-hmm. talked with me before about, you have a tagline, I say, no victims, no heroes, no police. Tell me what you mean by that, because I, I love that, that line. There is no real judgment. What's most important is everyone is in an environment where they feel psychologically safe to have that healthy confrontation. So someone can say, I don't agree with you. And that's going to generate a lot, a lot more ideas, a lot more inputs, a more inspiration, you know, that's going to lead the team to higher levels of results. And that becomes really, really, really important. You've talked about this importance of learning agility, you know, being able to handle this constructive conflict, the no victims, no heroes, no police. I'm wondering, mm. can you give me a story of a team that didn't get it right on this uh, accountability and then the impact of that, just to put it into to context. You know, projects where you're implementing a large system integration tool, right? BSAPs, you know, all those types of products. I mean, they're notoriously challenging um, because they're always really poking at how things used to be done. But one of the challenges I've seen with some of these big multi-million dollar projects is, of course, that dashboard. And, you know, there, there is a significant amount of pressure when you've got a significant amount of money on the line and, and the financial stakes are high to essentially gloss over the reality of some challenges or some of the processes you may not have figured out um, or even just kind of pushing some of those problems down the line from a project standpoint. And so I was on one of those very sizable, you know, 100 million plus projects where the processes and the impacts had not yet been figured out. And and those real rich conversations had not actually been had. 
Um, but then when you were taking a look at the progress, you know, a meeting had been had. And so you check the box and say, yes, you know, we've done stakeholder engagement with this particular group. But then the rubber hits the road and you get into design and you realize you don't have enough information to be able to alter the code, you know, figure out what all of the approval decisions need to be. And so then what happens is then you start to hit these big delays in the project. And so the project suffered four project delays as a result. So it is one of those things where had the team actually had a greater level of trust at the front end and had we been in a place where we could have had a lot more really rich conversations about what work wasn't deep enough or what hadn't been done well enough and really held people accountable to what the quality of that deliverable really needed to be you would have essentially, you know, resolved some of that later pain and actually had a clearer sense of direction up front as well. And people would have had a common vision and would have been working in the same direction because project delays cost you an awful lot of money and it tends to also cost people some careers as well. So sometimes those costs can be extremely high when in reality, it's much better to have those conversations up front and realize they don't have to always be about judgment. They can be just about bringing the right answers, the right questions to the table at the right time. So you've got an opportunity to be adaptive. It really shows that the cost of poor communication is so significant that when you talk about high performance and high performing team, you have to do that work up front to really build the accountability and build the trust so that you can yeah. perform or you will Ab- pay the price. Absolutely. And, and if you think about it too, right, spending your time up front, really crafting that vision for where you're going and, and what are the smaller strategies that you're going to employ to get there? You know, what are the goals? What are those targets? What that does is it creates line of sight. It connects everything from top to bottom. I mean, this is the HR holy grail when you talk about performance objectives for each individual Mm -hmm. that you do annually. Everyone understands how the work that they're doing connects to the the people in the roles and in the teams themselves and what those initiatives are and how that all lends towards moving that corporate strategy forward. Mm -hmm. And those are key things that people need. It's line of sight. And line right. of sight for some people really reduces their fear factor. But, you know, building this is this kind of high performance is not easy. And I know we've talked about, there are a number of challenges that go into it. And, the, and so I'd like to dive into those a bit because a couple of them are, are very relevant today. And let's just start with one of the biggest challenges today, which is a change in your mandate or operating model. And I think a lot of teams are going through this right now. So tell me about that challenge and how you overcome it. Well, you know, I think that all stems back to, you know, one of the key things when you're building trust is there's an advantage to being able to, you know, sit across from someone and stare them directly in the eye and ask them some questions. And you know, where you're not only just listening to what they've said, but you're reading their body language and, and you're listening to all of that other information that comes across as well. And, you know, while tools like, you know, Zoom and WebEx are, are fantastic, it does remove some of that human factor and some of that very, very valuable information that you have. So, so I think going virtual is something that everyone's going to continue to adjust to. Um, so what it means is that you've got to rely on different strategies when you're reaching out to try and build trust with your employees and your teams, 
right? And, and not only that, with your own colleagues and your peers as well. You're, you're having to, to reach out and just connect with them on, on a social level as well, right? How can I help you? Continuously trying to rebuild that rapport that you have with them. And thinking about, you know, how can we engage in more reciprocity, even if it just means sending them a joke every day, mm-hmm. uh, just, just to keep their mindset and to make sure that they're not really anxious about what's going on. But it's also going to increase with, with the sharing of information and how mm-hmm. transparent that you can be and what words that you're using. This is where, you know, as leaders, we're, we're having to be very mindful and at the same time, very intentional, right? Not at mm-hmm. the same time. Not all your people want to be reached out and connected with every day, but you need to have some of those tools and techniques in place. And, you know, the foundation of trust that you've already built, you can think of it as it's trust in the bank, but every time you ask them to do something, you're pulling some trust coin out. And so what are you doing to be able to put that back in? And with the situation and what's going on right now, there's a lot more coming out of people's trust accounts than what's going back in. Yeah, you better hope you have a big uh, balance sheet of trust (laughs) before, uh, (laughs) because you're going to be making some withdrawals as a leader right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing too is it's going to change the norms, right? We keep talking Mm -hmm. about this is the new normal. Um, So, you know, at the same time, it's an opportunity. What do you want that normal to be? You know, what is it that you're looking for from your people? It gives you a chance to recalibrate and, you know, to to learn a little bit more about what your people are capable of that maybe was not part of what they had to do yesterday. And so it does give you an opportunity as a leader. It gives you permission to get a lot more curious and to ask Mm -hmm. a lot more questions at the same time. So another challenge that you mentioned is dealing with new people. (laughs) Now, Obviously, I'm sure that usually occurs when you're adding to your team. Um, but right now, I'm sure that occurs because suddenly people are having to deal with new partners, uh, new team members from other parts of the organization because of the way we're moving to virtual. How does this stress a high-performing team? And what's the key for a leader to maintain or create high performance in the face of this kind of personnel disruption? Mm-hmm. I think when we're talking about dealing new people, there's a couple of different lenses. There's, you know, when you potentially shift the leader or when you're adding new people to a team or even when you're subtracting people from a team as well. Because if you think about that construct, let's say you had 10 people that were operating really, really well as a unit. If you just shift one person on that team, right, you know, it, by and large, as long as that person is bringing some new stuff and new talents and, and new perspectives to that team, by and large, they can, you know, normalize decently quick. But the thing is, is that when you start to make some new additions who are deliberately supposed to be like rebel talent, let's say to shake up and bring radical new perspectives that can really then create a little bit of anxiety on a team and you can get any type of uh, different responses. Because at that point, everyone had kind of found their role, found their position, and, and had figured out what their true value was going to be to the team. But a new person, depending on what they were tasked with, can really shake up how people perceive their value. And when people are comfortable, this is when you can say people really don't like change all that much because they have to find their new normal. Same sort of thing happens when you bring a new leader in. They're bringing their own vision, their own strategy, right? And and they're excited about, you know, what their style is going to be and what some of their passions are. 
And sometimes that can really resonate with the direction that a team has been going in. And sometimes it can really radically shift it. So there's always going to be a period of adjustment. The more radical the infusion of that person's talents, perspectives, and ideas, the longer it might actually take for that team to find their new net normal. And what's the solution? I mean, it's not a solution, but what's the the best way if you're a leader on a team helping people navigate a new a new more senior leader coming in new dynamics how can you help people thrive amidst that changing set of norms and roles i think it's important to be transparent about you know what you've asked this person to bring to the table and i think it's important to give the team and the new people an opportunity to really get to know each other right and to really help them collectively work together on what that role needs to look like. However, if you have brought in someone to be more of a disruptor, um, then just know that that period of time might take a little bit longer. But what's most important is to make sure that the team doesn't vote that person off the island, right? Right. Because they were brought in, (laughs) you were brought in with something unique that the team really needed. And so that's when going back to that, what is our vision? What is our strategy? Mm -hmm. What are our goals? and re-anchoring the team on those items because they've been galvanized around those for some time. And so if the, it's the burden of proof is on the leader to be mm-hmm. able to explain and show everyone, you know, what that connection is, right? And then hear the guardrails. Right. And, and so we've been talking about how leaders have a critical role to play in communicating in a way that creates high performance. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's turn to your advice to leaders in these trying times. Let's say someone listening is a leader. They're suddenly faced with all this change, pressure, stress, and anxiety from their people. What is the first thing that you would advise them to prioritize from a communication standpoint to foster high performance? Absolutely. I think, you know, number one, go back to those bases on trust, right? So, so, you know, really, really, really share with them as much information as you can when it's real. So being as transparent as, as possible. And I think also just, you know, a little bit of, you know, to borrow an old term, a little servant leadership in these times of crisis can certainly help. Um, But really trying to do as much as you can to give them line of sight as to what may be coming next, or at least how the organization is going to be handling those particular situations for as far out as you possibly can. But then I think the other element too is that the triggers and the evolution of a high-performing team is never going to be the exact same way twice. Mm. So what's really important as a leader is you, you just need to be always taking a step back, reflecting, and, and reflecting really on how people are interacting so that you can recognize those high-performing team moments and so you can reward those types of interactions that you think are going to help bring you towards that future state of a high-performing team. Because I, I don't believe any leader sets out to build an ineffective team. Right. right? right. <laughs> so, no one wakes up and says, you know, I'm going to create a dysfunctional, incompetent team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but it's, not, it's not going to create itself by luck. There is hmm. no magical set of humans that's going to create the perfect high-performing team. Right. What you want is that diversity in thought. You, you really want to make sure that you are... are really paying attention Mm -hmm. to recognize this behavior. So there's a real intention there that leaders need Mm -hmm. to do. It's not so much something that's purely organic. It's something you've got to recognize and you've got to work for it a Mm -hmm. little bit. So 
you've said, and I love these points, start with the mission, the vision, values, and then build, continue to draw on build trust by being transparent. What would be the third thing that leaders should really do to create high performance in these trying times? Get to know your people a whole lot better than you do today. Mm. Start hunting for hidden talents. Start hunting for different ways of thinking. Find your breakthrough idea generation people because they're significantly more rare. And, and spend a whole lot of time really thinking about how to motivate each and every person as opposed to potentially, you know, once leaders start to get into a situation where they have to be overly focused on results, the individuals start to fade a little bit into the background. Try and resist that inclination and really get to know all those individuals and see if you can find all of those other active variables and purposefully try and create some new interactions as well. Lots of informal networks are Mm -hmm. going to pop up and you got to know which ones of those that you can formalize to actually create more high-performing solutions and outcomes. Those are very tangible things to do. And I think you're right, you know, in some ways now we feel like, you know, things are extremely hard, but also we have opportunities. We have a lot more time. All our commute time Mm -hmm. is gone. We have (laughs) the ability to connect with people. So there are a lot of ways now to, as you said, look for those hidden talents, get to know your people on a different level, because we're going to need some new kinds of thinking, some diversity of ideas to get through this and thrive. So, yeah, I mean, you know, what I'm taking away from our conversation is, you know, the fundamentals of high performance, you know, this a team that has trust and identity and accountability remain, but the intention with which leaders must go about building that sense of high performance has only increased. Is, is that a good, uh, have I captured your thoughts? Yes, absolutely. Because the best person who was there for the job yesterday might be radically changed right. today. <laughs> That's right. Well, look, Trina, I appreciate you taking the time. I know uh, these are extraordinary times, but they also mean uh, it, it's a good time to re-examine leadership concepts like high-performing teams. So appreciate you coming on the podcast and, uh, and sharing your expertise. For those listening, is there anything that you would advise them to read or videos to watch during this time so that they can bolster their ability to cr- uh, foster high performance? Um, you know, for sure, I have found a lot of value in the, the Keith Ferrazzi, who's got your back. Uh, he's the one who's got a trust model that I think is quite tangible for out there in the world today. But then spend some time with the Matt Liebermans and social or the David Rocks or Dan Pinks, you know, because they're really talking about how to motivate other people. And of course, as always, Brene Brown for how you can be more human. Oh, I love her. She's just so great. I'm just wrapping up Daring Greatly and it's such a powerful read on vulnerability. I think it's something that we would all be wise to uh, revisit. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for coming on and uh, stay safe. Happy social distancing. (laughs) You as well. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Trina Boivin of Optimum Talent. And it's a real insight into effective teams, what makes them, what undoes them, and why it's so important for leaders to create them during this tough time. As you know, we're trying to do as many of these podcasts as possible to bring you content and expertise during this difficult time. Next up, uh, I welcome Arif Virani. He's a member of parliament for Parkdale High Park. That's my neighborhood here in Toronto. 
and I've gotten to know Arif over the years and I've been hugely impressed and inspired by his listening skills, his empathy and his communication uh, in the face of uh, what I've come to see in the political realm can often be impassioned uh, and emotional dialogue. So he joins me to talk about his skills and his advice for leaders as we navigate this crisis. That'll be coming up next time on the Inspire Podcast. Until then, stay safe, physical distance, and uh, we'll get through this.